Hey everybody, Chibi here. Before we get into today's conversation, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for showing us that you care about poetry and getting to know more poets across this country. If you've liked what you've heard so far, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, share these episodes, tell a friend, rate and review us wherever you can. And if you want to know more about the things and the initiatives that we are putting in place, you can look us up on Facebook at The Blah Poetry Spot. That is B-L-A-H, The Blah Poetry Spot on Facebook or Write Art Out on Instagram. That's W-R-I-T-E-A-R-T-O-U-T, Write Art Out. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get into today's conversation. Welcome, 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 everybody, for another edition of The Blah Poetry Spot Presents Words and Shit, an intimate performance and interview with a different poet every week so that you can get to know the person behind the poetry. My name is Chibi. I'm one of your hosts. And this week, I'm joined once again by the illustrious taco poet of San Antonio, Eddie Vega. How are you doing, Eddie? Hey, I'm doing great, man. Can um, you hear me all right? Yeah, yeah, you actually sound even better this week, so. Even better this week. Hey, uh, just so you know, uh, I, I had no idea we were wearing bow ties. Oh, oh, it's a thing. You know, our, our guest this week is, is known for, you know, like looking pretty snazzy. And uh, ah. even, even in the, uh, the uh, flyer that we made, like he's got a vest on, like, you know, I had to make sure I was up to par. You know, you know. I get it. I get it. Me too, because I was gonna wear a t-shirt, and then at last minute I was like, no. No. I got this shirt. I haven't gone to wear. Gotten to wear because of the whole, you know, COVID thing. I'm gonna wear it tonight because I gotta look snazzy. Because yeah. our guest is a snazzy judger. Snazzy guy. With that being said, Eddie, who we got up today? All right, we have with us tonight Ed Mabry, actor, author, speaker, a modern Renaissance artist. From the page to the stage and the strip to the screen, Ed captivates, motivates, and promulgates the performing arts. He's the winningest poet in the history of Poetry Slam, having four world champions, championships, five consecutive regional championships, and over 500 wins in his career. He tours the country professionally as a poet, a comedian, and a professional speaker. He also has an Emmy Award, and we haven't had anybody on with an Emmy Award ever. I mean, we've only done this like three or four times, but still, nobody with an Emmy this is our first one. Uh, he's been on seasons three, five, and six of Versus and Flow. He's been on all these TV uh, stations like ABC, Fox, HBO, All Def Digital, Crackle, CNN, C-SPAN. Uh, he was a speaker at 2015 TEDx in Dayton and 2017 TEDx Evans Street. Uh, he, as the 2019 APCA Spoken Word Artist of the Year, he performed at over 100 colleges and universities around the country teaching workshops and conducting seminars. But that's not it. He's also a comedian, and he's open for D.L. Hughley, Ian Bagg, Rob Schneider, Roy Wood, Charlie Murphy, and a whole bunch of others. He's a two-time finalist in the World Series of Comedy held in Las Vegas, and he has been the voice of companies ranging from Ohio State Medical Center to Lexus. He's got a voice like no other. So uh, we're going to bring Ed on. Ed, how you doing? I'm in cool, man. How are you? Good, good, man. Nice to see you. Uh, I presume you're out in L.A.? 
Yes, yes, I'm in LA. And I feel very bad because uh, Chibi looks amazing. Uh, you look almost as amazing as Chibi. And then in turn, I was sitting here like, okay, can I get up quick enough to put on the dress shirt? Like my dress shirt and sport coat are right there, but I was like, I don't think I can reach it in time. And what I don't want to do is like be buttoning up and people like, what the hell is going on? So I apologize for the t-shirt, but it's a clean t-shirt. So that's the start. Hey, hey, hey. Well, all right. That's good. That's good. That's and you heard it's on point too. So that's got to be enough. As long as the laundry's been done, we're good. We're good. I didn't say that. I just said this is a clean t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the things we're grateful about quarantine is we can still see people and talk to people, but we don't have to smell people anymore. No, no, no. <laughs> All so right. Yeah, vision, it's over. Ooh. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Uh, let's dive right into it. Ed, we're going to hand the floor over to you. Give us 10 to 15 minutes of some of your work, and uh, let's hear some poetry. Awesome. I'm going to just uh, blow right through a few pieces in without a lot of talk between them. But I'll, like, I'll give a signal so people to know the poem style. Uh, uh, this is from a Who Am I Challenge, uh, done by uh, Obi West and Prentice Powell. Who Am I? 2018 Wakanda mixed with 1990 Rwanda. Amir Baraka meets Barack Obama meets Richard Pryor. I'm a puma running on fire, dog. I'm a boat on the third rail track. I crazy Usain Black Panther. I'm an oak in the land of San Fran. I spit Calibri bold. You just a comic sans manhood from suburbs to projects. The nigga that makes you eject your intellect. I'm hell when I'm heavenly. I'm a devil's reject. The archetype's concepts. I'm a 5% of his wet dream. Simone on a bean with a bling gold in a coat. They say greatness speaks for itself, so I ain't spoken a while. They try to keep the bile down while I exercise this new floor. I am reflex like reflux, hot acid. I'm a 62 Corvette bumping, Illmatic, double classic and priceless. I'm culture shorts and payless. They say I'm the greatest. I say say less. I'm Marvin Star Spangled Banner at the former. Mike Tyson meets James Bald. I'm classy but no decorum. Everybody got a plan so they get punched in the face. Everybody got a plan till I come up in the place. I said, I heard, I heard, when I heard of hyenas. And it's no words, no words. And when I walk up and see them, see niggas act like semen. Millions in the game, but only one breaks through. Nine minutes later, you got to ride with them. Still a heady or mental and a brother. The apprentice makes me an alpha man. I part X-Man, part X-Clan, protected by the red, the black, and the green with the key. I keep my locks with me. Mountain of all this asking who rocks with me. Why cleft in G? The Cobra Kai spoken word don't tread on me. Y'all poets is baltized and no tread to see. Ask G on was out for Tokyo don't drift without blowouts. I'm Vin, I'm decent with no Vin. Cardinal no sin. I'm a haiku full of Hennessy. I'm a guzzle on gin. I'm Lamar from Manson the Hill. I spell my black ice with a K. And crab cakes and babies. I'm Obi's challenge. I'm the sound playing toss beside us. I'm blue with a clue. And a ward full of J's. Like Steph Curry cloned in an asylum. I'm a ward full of J's. Frontwards and backwards. I'm fab all day. Frontwards and backwards. I'm fab all day. My pedigree speaks highly of me. You want some slams, don't make you as high as me. A goat chewing on sets ain't high as me. I'm the house that's clack, clack, and boom, back. I'm the ace till I'm kept with the sleeve. Why? I'm Patricia Smith on the tag team. I'm complex God. Contest called me Black Jesus. I'm a complex God. I'm Kanye, and I'm Kanye. And what happens when the page meets the stage and the poet gets out the way? I'm Cornell, Kanye, and Obi. I'm all West. I'm New York Jive and Big Mike, I'm all East. I'm fat because I ate my weight out the belly of the beast. My left hand's famine and my right hand's feast. I'm Jay-Z at an open mic. I'm unfair. I'm like how blacks are treated in this country. My clock sits on 444 with a 4-5 on my lap. Things like I sacrifice 4-5 where they both to bring the 4-4 back. I'm Chuck D if he slammed it. I'm Allah and Yahweh doing 90 on the freeway. Free base in King James and rolling up Buddha quotes. Y'all respect the one who got shot. 
I respect the shooter. I'm a self-fulfilling prophecy. E.E. E. Cummins cacophony. Gwendolyn Brooks on a stripper's bookshelf. I'm my ass with great potential. I'm the black thought to recap and reflex his function to show his freestyle to be a masterpiece. If I was a woman, I'd be masterpiece. Hanging my poems in a museum. See how the reference is inferred. I write an infrared. I guess that's why these cats chase my laser pen. Too much liquor in y'all lyrics. Lazy pens. All that clucking your DNA. Lazy hens. I'm K-Dot. Storting buckshot off a of J. Cole CD. My smile kills on demand. Now that's K-O-D. I'm Southern and Pride versus Southerners lie, but then don't make me catch a flight. Cause then some Southerners die, the North remembers. I put that on my OH and a dime. I'm Legend John and Baptist. Part Fayla, part Fayla, part Tahimbe, part Phelan, part Gallagher on poets because I split melons. I'm a freestyle on national TV with Amari Hardwick when we'll let the verses go. I'm at the poetry lounge on the stage signing papers for HBO. Y'all can't ghost and have this much power, yo. And my boy Sean Williams told me if things were reversed, I'd be sour, yo. I guess he's right in hindsight, but I hate looking back. I'm a power glove with one stone short, so here's what I did. I sacrificed my body for my voice. I made my own soul stone. It's only right the poet born in the house called Snaps and Taps to be the one to make a wish and then let his finger snap. Happy, gone like ash in a breeze. Your vision can't come back. My alchemy's full metal. And what happens when the dust settles? You think those trophies make you great? That's just fool's metal. What are good of those tens and thirties when your soul's dirty and your pen's corrupt? I'm like Andy Dufresne seeing that the pen's corrupt. Crawl through the shit and escape the hearsay. From New York to L.A., Boston to the Bay, I know it's cliche. But when I die, my last poem will say I'm the poet that did it my way. So who am I? All right, we good. I'll keep on going. Uh, this is called If You Give a Man a Cookie. The pattern is simple, in and of itself brilliant in the way the cigarettes are brilliant or guns are brilliant or McDonald's are brilliant. It's how, how cute, what chubby little legs, what pudgy little cheeks, he is adorable, have a cookie. Second, you're shopping at Kmart, Sears, and Value City in the Husky section. The color choices are two. They are brown and brown. Someone walks up to your mother and says, what a gentlemanly young man. How old is he? Oh, well, it's just baby fat. It'll fade. You look at your mom for understanding. A second of the one day it'll fade away motion. And she says, have a cookie. Third, by the age of 15, you've built calluses on your soul. And all those, you so fat, your stomach got its own zip code. You so fat, to design a gene say to be continued. You so fat, you go bra shopping with your grandma. Ragged blood, guard ass, weevil wobble, earthquake, beach, well, blubber butt, book, and look alike comments. Slowly trickle, salt stain down, trail down your steel feather fat. Somewhere along the way, cool points are racked up as you begin to travel in varsity football circles until the marching band girls are overheard saying he's cute, but fat. The car run great, just looks like shit. You've got personality. The house is run down, but the plumbing is all new. You've got character. The soup looks nasty, but boy, does it taste good. You've got a sense of humor. No, you are fat, overweight, obese, large, and in charge of everything except your will to willpower. The first rule of fat club is to tell no one that you're in fat club. Denial. The second rule of fat club is to act as if there is no fat club. More denial. The third rule of fat club is if this is your first night of fat club, you have got to eat so you do. Birthdays, holidays, weekdays, have a cookie. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, have a cookie. In between meal, meals, fast food, fancy food, happy eat, sad eat, mad eat, game on eat, commercial eat, lady loves you eat, lady left you eat. 12 course meals at some restaurant, you gotta loosen your pants to breathe, too tired to even tie your shoe. But hey, before we go home, I need to stop and get some milk. And what's some milk without a cookie? And if you give a fat, and yes, I am fat man, a cookie, his hand will say great. His stomach will scream yes, but his eyes will find you and they'll ask you, why?
Let's keep on going. Uh, this is called Snapshot. First the rattle, then the drum, the battle before the gun, the bullet before the pain, the loss before the gain, the cost that must get paid, then sunshine before the rain, the push before the pull. You meet the horns before you meet the bull. You can't get up before you fall. And how long have they been telling us, don't try to walk before you master how to crawl. So think about it. The chance encounter, a place you didn't plan on being, a person you didn't plan on seeing, a glance that should have never been her perfume. Carried on some accidental wind, the stare, the smile, that charming compliment, the comment, the perfect timing, the heartfelt laugh that you know will one day break your heart, but still you start. The number dialed in conversation which lead with the promises, the casual, the flip, the talk shit, the back it up, the revelation deep, deeper you go. The first dates as sweet as the last, the ones in between fade, the colors smeared on a canvas of your sunsets past the movie, the dinner, the waiter. Remember the waiter, the song on the road home, remember this. It was Ray Charles, baby, what I say in your ears, hers. It was every song Patsy Cline wrote in her sleep and lost before waking. Now the kiss, how you missed your mark. Still sparks flew behind your eyes. A million Roman candles and Chinese snapdragons exploding inside until you both realized it. No small wonder you hadn't even closed your eyes yet. And how that sigh, which escapes both your lips, sounded a lot like, oh, shit. Her toothbrush at your place, a hair clinging onto the mirror for dear life, the smell of her on your pillow, not her perfume, her. How you inhaled that cocaine her musk left behind and spent the day so high, her giggle drifting in from another room, her walk, more of a lazy wiggle down your hallway, she on the toilet, toes curled up in your thick socks, leading through a magazine, that cracked door. Is it a test or rite of passage? A moment of forgetfulness or a sly example of acceptance into a club which only grants one membership at a time when she said she actually liked your snoring. And what about the lovemaking? The bed breaking, legend making, breathtaking, heart pounding, neighbors banging on the wall, sounding never stopping, constant throbbing. No. What about the night that the moon showed up as if by appointment and shone through the window like a carpet poured of melted pearls instead of sewn with simple threads? How she packed her sexy unmentionables and then left them all in a bag, picked out a dress shirt from your closet, practiced tying that damn type of hours just to show you who she could be for you. Wait now. Mark this moment. It was your salmon and black striped tie. There was no music playing, but if there had been a tune to match the one your heart was beating at this point, it would have been anything by Bill Evans, maybe some George Strait, definitely written by Bill Withers. Now hold your breath. Here's your closing. The forgotten phone call, the unreturned email, the monotony for romance, the slow dance with boredom, from making love to fucking, to making love to fucking, to just so much sex, and her damn hair is everywhere, and he snores like Satan's army. She's picking up weight, I wish she'd pick her feet up when she walks. He never wants to do anything. All we do is eat, shit, sleep, and for the love of Pete, why can't she close the goddamn bathroom door and it's here? The bullet and the gun. The ride before the fun, the chuckle before the laugh, the chair or the gas, the church or the chamber, the crucifix or the manger, the love of a stranger, the risk and the danger, the rise and the fall. All your cliches, sachet, your fears, you the Watusi while your heart says, wait, let me write this moment down. I want to remember this. It was a day like any other, except today your beginning ended, make it room for another to begin. Two ordinary people. I think it was Sheena Easton or, or, or maybe Amy Mann. No, it was Anita Baker or Phyllis Hyman. No, on second thoughts, it was Nina Simone. It was definitely Nina Simone. All right, we'll keep on moving. Uh, this is called The Passion of the Christ. 
the Lower East Side Version remix. Gabriel is tuning up. Paul is slamming dominoes at a picnic table. John the Baptist sits on a park bench in Lower Manhattan trying to get a good signal on his cell phone. On the third ring, his fiance answers. With a thick gulp of air, he explains to her how the job interview was going well. When he left up and exploded out the door, I'm not afraid of work, he exclaims. I just can't get used to wearing a tie. His fiance, being of Puerto Rican, born and bred, responds, it's okay, papi. Come on, Judas watches the streetlight turn from green to yellow to red. With a slight limp, he hops out into traffic. A Jesus Save sticker's all but faded out on his purple bucket. He sloshes some dirty water on some supermom's SUV. And after a few swipes, she lowers her window just enough for the dollar bill to poke out. The smile he offers to her is so sincere, you can almost get past the smell. Almost. Someone starts bitching about the television playing Oprah. And finally, Mary concedes and puts the fight on. Everyone starts roaring for Joseph to open up the table. So he grabs a piece of chalk from behind his ear and standing on top of the bar, he starts taking bets, pointing at people like a trader on Wall Street. Truth be told, he doesn't even need the chalkboard. Joseph's memory is flawless. Jesus sits in a booth in the VIP section, surrounded by women of every shape, color, and creed. The thing they all talk about in the bathroom is how he makes each one of them and feel like they're the only woman on earth when he's with them, whether it be conversation or more than that, none of them will say. Each woman asked by another simply smiles and turns it around by saying, well, what do you do when you're with him? These women come into this small hole in the wall every and talk his ear off every single night that he listens. No matter how bad the story, he never tells them to leave the man, never tells them to call the cops, he never offers advice, nor does he accept their phone numbers on folded napkins. He just listens. Then at some point, Near the bewitching hour, when his eyes begin to droop and his mouth is full of cotton, Jesus gets up from that booth, grabs his mother's hand, and takes her out on the dance floor. And Joseph, knowing his cues, jumps on top of the bar and screams, it is last call for alcohol. Last call for the sweet taste of grape wine to touch your lips and not burn. Last call for the losers and lovers, mothers and brothers, put down your differences and your weapons of war and drink. One last drink with me, and as always, the last drink of the night is on the house, and as always, everyone has a glass of red, red wine with a salty pretzel in hand to place on the tongue and chew, and as always, everyone stands in a circle, and they watch Jesus dance the last dance with Mary, his head buried deep in her chest to hide his drunken sobs all around the world. They are calling his last call for alcohol. Someone is planning for their first child, and someone is planning for World War III. Someone is loving, someone is leaving, someone is talking, someone is walking, someone is waiting, someone is running, someone is screaming hallelujah, and someone is bellowing fuck you. Both of them defiant in a world gone mad, but when it's all said and done, it'll still be last call for alcohol. So holding his mother's hair up to his nose, trying to take the scent with him, Jesus heads out that door and up Calvary Boulevard. And I could have sworn I heard Mary mutter to him, it's time to go, baby. It's last call for alcohol. You ain't got to go home, she said, but you got to get the hell out of here. He replied, I've got to get the hell out of here. Thank you. Ed Mabry, everybody. Ed Mabry. Goddamn. <laughs> Goddamn is all I got to say right now. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, I'm trying to unmute Eddie. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Eddie. Hey, uh, oh, go ahead. Go, well, I was going to say I wanted to talk about Fat Club, but apparently we can't. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to. 
You are all right. No, no, no. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll let Jimmy go first. You're I just want to go first with that joke. All right. <laughs> well, well, Ed, so today is the last day of National Poetry Month. Um, uh-huh. And uh, you took a really interesting uh, approach to this month. Uh, your, your thing that you kind of like put out to the community and the way you gave back, but also did yourself was uh, you went live on Instagram and on Facebook for an hour each every day and invited people mm-hmm. to join you. So I'm curious, like, how, how was that experience? And was there anything that you discovered through Yes, um, and I'll keep these quick. I mean, feel free to like type or tell me each other. Hello. Well, I'll keep these as I can. Um, what I did for uh, National Poetry Month, I offered a writing workshop every day. So I basically created like an online writer's retreat. Um, so every day for an hour on Facebook Live and then another hour on Instagram Live. Not every day was a, was a workshop the same from one to one. Sometimes somebody would say something that would spark something else. Um, it was a beautiful experience. I honestly expected. Uh, I put my foot in my mouth and I said I do it every day for 30 days, like every day. So weekends, holidays, Easter, every day, uh, 9 a.m. L.A. time every day, <laughs> uh, which also meant like so getting prompts. I promise to never repeat a prompt, never repeat an exercise, never repeat a form every day. Uh, and I was like, oh, shit. Uh, it was beautiful because I had planned on having days where it was going to be me looking at myself on screen. And I was gonna look and be nobody. I just, I just knew there'd be nobody in it. I'd be like, okay, guys. So today we're working on sonnets. No one, okay. And sonnets are 14 lines. Okay, no one. But we're live. Let's get it recorded. So I still gotta, you know, I, I still gotta act like there's someone there, even though I know for a fact there's no one there. Um, and what happened was the opposite. Uh, not only did someone tune in every single day, both workshops for every workshop every day. There's a few people that took all 30 workshops on Facebook. There's some that took all 30 on Instagram. And then there's some people that took all 58. Because uh, today's the only day we can do one. So there's some people that took both every day for 29 days. Um, end up getting people from uh, Guadalupe, uh, not Mexico, but the Caribbean islands, or the islands rather, from Guadalupe from the islands, from Kosovo, India, uh, New Zealand, was tuning in a day in advance, basically, or day after, because they're the day ahead. Um, New Zealand was tuning in, and Amsterdam, and Canada. Uh, so that was just crazy. I did it. Uh, what I'm working on is every time you have a selfish thought as a person, you have to think of a way for 2020 to make it a, uh, a thought of giving and then um, see what happens with it. So I told myself, I want to work on, I need to improve my display. I was like, but I need to have myself accountable. So rather than selfishly just call Chibi and say, Chibi, every day, text me in the morning and ask me if I've written something. And Eddie every night called me and asked me if I'd written something. I said, well, instead, I'll make it where I have to fucking write, I have to fucking read, and I have to fucking work on it. So I'll, I'll force myself to do this by giving to others to do it. Um, yeah, that was, that was the main thing. And it ended up blossoming into something crazy. Today was graduation day. So today was an open mic where only people who had created poems in the workshops got to actually read on the open mic. Um, so they were, they were eager and excited. We did it for two hours on Instagram. And uh, it was great. It was, it was just... The feedback has been nothing short of phenomenal. Um, it was all free. Also, every single class was free, all 60 of them. Uh, so, yeah, so that's what happened. Yeah, you got some fans in, uh, in the chat saying that the classes were amazing. Uh, clearly, your your accolades and your reach are outstanding. So, props to you for putting that on. Yeah, there were, there, I, I got to sit in on one of them. I wanted to do more, but uh, I also have to teach at like 11 on weekdays. Ooh, yeah. um, or 11 on our time, nine your time. Uh, yeah. And, um, but what I did notice in some of the Facebook posts and whatnot, 
was your use of authors, uh, of a lot of page authors, mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of poets from the page, mm -hmm. not necessarily like mm -hmm. stage poets. Mm -hmm. uh, why, 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 why use page poets? Because uh, stage poets also burn in hell. No, <laughs> just because no, no one's expecting me to say that. So, you know, stage poets suck. Why don't you a stage poet? Shut your mouth. Um, you shut your filthy mouth. Now, uh, some of the people were stage. A Roger Benner guard is 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 a is great on both. Um, Patricia Smith. Uh, there's a handful of other people that that were stage or stage that we're aware. Of. We don't know what they were doing. Half the people I usually did. Um, so we don't know what they did. But uh, the focus was that because I wanted to discuss form. And if I start grabbing my friend's work, I have to first identify if there's a form to it beyond free write. I didn't want to just discuss, like some days we discussed writing prompts and ideas, but other days I wanted to actually go, well, here's the form, because I think form is very important. I think it's more important for stage poets than page poets. Um, in my personal opinion, I think we all should learn as many forms as possible because you have to learn the rules in order to break them. Um, if you're not, if you don't know the rules, you're not breaking rules. So that amazing thing you're doing, you did it by accident, you know, not free rights, free rights are free rights. But like someone will go, did you happen to notice any you wrote a sonnet right in the middle of that poem? You're like, no, I didn't know it. Yeah, it was 14 lines. You did this rhyme pattern. Like, that's what's up. And if you just go home, then that's it. Go home and Google sonnet. You know what I'm saying? Now you go, oh, I can do this. And then where else could your mind go? As I think stage poets are some of those amazing creative uh, artists and writers. And I think if we start actually looking at the form, it will enhance where we go. But poets were the one odd faculty of performing and slamming poets that figure everything we got is good the first time we do it so we don't work on it. Yeah. So that's, that's why cool. I just figured out, I want a resource, plus I want a resource material. Instead of saying, go look at this YouTube video, I want to take a screenshot of the poem, like here's the poem and here's where you can go find it and the copies are still on my Facebook page. So therefore people actually now can still go like day one and pull that whole thing up, listen to the workshop and read along with the work. Yeah. Yeah. I, got, I saw that and I saw, uh, I think one of the first ones to use was uh, Garcia Lorca, uh, one of my favorite, favorite poets. Five in the morning. Five in the morning. Yeah, man. Uh, what, um, who are some of your favorite or maybe uh, influencing poets uh, of any kind? Uh, Pablo Neruda is number one in these days. Uh, just, there's no one to come close to him in, in my book. Uh, I'm trying to get my constant book. I have a rotating thing like favorite movies. I have a rotating thing like five through 10 rotate. Top five are kind of just, they, they do pecking order. Uh, Pablo Neruda stays number one. Uh, Amir Baraka stays in the top five, but he rotates. Uh, Patricia Smith stays top five, she rotates. Um, Basho stays top five, he rotates. Um, and then rounding that out, uh, about the reading uh james baldwin uh right now just because his writing is everyone else's writing challenges me his writing makes me want to quit writing <laughs> just just fucking stop just yeah he did a he did a creative I'm gonna up. he did an essay on creative writing like an essay talking about what it means to be an artist and be a creative writer and the essay on what it means to be one i like fuck you i'll never write again <laughs> I can't talk about talking about the thing better than you actually just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't actually do the thing yeah. as good as you're talking about how to do it. Yeah. It's like getting an instruction manual and being like, I can't, I'm not going to put this together. It's never going to be as beautiful as this description. I was taking it back to Ikea, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> so, so let me ask you on the uh, subject of like form and stage versus space. Like anyone that's ever seen you perform uh, knows that you have a dynamic stage presence, and there's a lot of a performance aspect that goes into it. I mean, you sing, you dance, you whistle. Uh, there's just a whole bunch of things, right? So. <laughs> My question to you then is in the writing process, where does the performance uh -huh. in, in the writing process, where does the performance kind of play into it? You know, like you, how much of that is in your mind when you're writing or does that come after? Like how does that process work? Yeah, I've had I've heard people ask or they thought that uh, well, a lot of my performance heavy pieces, they're like, oh well you had a performance and then you wrote around it. Actually it's the opposite where I got myself out of the raid and I write the thing. And then I realized that if I don't perform it, it's going to do a disservice to the piece on stage, right? Um, an example of that would be like Q&A, uh, which is I have a poem, right? Uh, the character in the poem goes from age four to 40, right? In a span of X amount of minutes. So if I get up and do that poem in this void from four to 40, and just stand there, excuse me, I got a question. What's the one that we're so curious about? I'm six, you know, I'm eight. People are like, no, you're not. You're obviously not eight. You're definitely not six or four, sir. You're old and grown and big. Um, uh, Q&A sat for a year. And then I did it one time and didn't realize the woman I was dating at the time was there and saw me. And she was like, the hell was that? And I was like, oh, it's a poem. And she's like, you need to share that. And I was like, nah. Uh, I had libretto and a friend, uh, Christopher, uh, Sean Barker in Charlotte, he heard libretto and he was like, dude, you fucking poem. I was like, nah. And then I did it. It's kind of the same thing from there. Um, so the performance element comes from certain elements in the poem where it goes, oh, you know, if you dance that, I had this idea about, uh, there was a, a professional trained dancer in Charlotte named Psychic. It was nicknamed Psychic. And he was on the, uh, we hung out a lot and he was doing the poetry slams in Charlotte when I lived there. And I've always wanted to be a dancer. Since I was a kid, I wanted to be a dancer. And I said it one time, I was, you know, it'd be great. Like, I would love to write something and then see you perform it. And he said, okay, cool. So I wrote it. And then we were together one day. He's like, okay, so how do you see it? And he was doing stuff like, nah, not like that. Nah, not like that. And he's like, okay, well, you show me. And there was no one around. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to be too embarrassed. So I started to do it in the, uh, the front yard of where I was living at the time. Like, okay, you say this, do this. When I say this, do that. And he was like, dude, you should just do it. And I was like, nah, no one's going to take this six foot tall, 300 plus pound fat black dude dancing on stage. And he's like, I'm telling you, as a professional dancer, you should really do this piece. Mm -hmm. And that gave me the confidence that I've been wanting since I was a child. And I said, well, screw it. You know, they're going to get this stomach and everything else that goes with the piece. I'll make a fool of myself and then I'll punch him and I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll go back to the hotel room and I'll cry, I'll cry my pillows. And uh, instead I did it and it was a very well received thing. We actually did a couple pieces. Well, we did one piece we danced together in tandem and uh shihan van cleef from uh la from the poetry lounge uh saw it and he was like that's one of the best things i've seen in the past 20 years and the best thing i've seen in a decade on stage and i was like wow like that means a lot because no matter how good it looks it has to be like you know good work um yeah so that's that's the answer as far as the performance so it always comes after the Emmett Till piece you mentioned whistling that was from uh i wanted to do a uh a split in the midst of that poem instead of reading it i was almost like you actually have to sing it because it's a broadway musical poem 
I said, cool, so I'll do that. And then it's like, well, I wanted to, I wanted to show, I didn't want to just talk about showing the body. I wanted to bring the casket in, in a way that people would get. So in a group piece, that'd have been easy. I stand one side and talk. Eddie and Chibi come out like pallbearers, very somber and stop. You know, they can take the microphone stands even, right? And walk the microphone stands and then take them and then set them down. Now they stand there. Everybody go, ooh. Uh, but then what happens when you're by yourself? <laughs> right? You can't start the poem and then walk off stage and then come back on carrying a microphone stand and set it down. Then walk back off stage and come back as yourself. So I needed some kind of transition. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll actually just, I'll mimic it. And I thought of all those Spike Lee movies where in every movie, uh, he has the people where they stand on the standing platform and they pull it along with the camera going with them. Mm. And it gives the impression they're walking, but they're not walking. They're just doing this and they're standing still and they're getting pulled along on a box of wood, which is actually out of half of the box of wood. Uh, I said, oh, well, I'll mimic that. Um, and then since Emmett had been assassinated for uh, the woman lying and saying he whistled at her, I said, how cool would it be to actually have a whistle going along with that instead of humming some gospel song or singing some gospel song, whistle it. Um, I'm sorry, then I'll shut up. Uh, then, I'm sorry, I'm trying to make sure you chip his so Then, uh, there's a thing where, uh, there's a lady online that I spoke to when she was very kind. She can sing in multiple octaves at one time. She's worked on her throat muscle where she can literally sing like multiple octaves at once. And I had spoke with her about it, we talked about it, and I can, I'm starting to be able to speak in multiple octaves at once, which is a whole other poem down the road. Uh, but right now I could whistle in multiple octaves. So I could whistle in two octaves and hum in another one. So I was like, oh, then let's try that. And you know, that was in San Antonio. You guys were there, Eddie was there. Um, I was not expecting the response that it got. People were like, oh my God, that was so creepy and beautiful at the same time. Uh, but it worked and I was like, cool. You know, yeah, so that's that. Yeah, the you know, uh, score has been, is infamous at this point in Southern Fred lore. <laughs> like, uh, the crowd went crazy and I think talked about it for the entire year. And then I remember watching you perform uh, the piece uh, To Be Human and that like in tandem mm -hmm. movements, like the movements that you guys added just amplified the writing, which is already incredible. So like, to you on your use of visual and written and oral cues. And it's kind of come full circle for me because I think this was like 2016 or 2015. And I saw, um, I saw that uh, poem and Jay Ward came to town and uh, I asked him, you know, um, how much did, uh, influence did a uh, sidekick have on Ed uh, and some of that dancing? And he's like, everything. <laughs> so like, I mean, I, I think people noticed or people noticed that there was a lot of effort into that dancing. A lot of, I mean, act, you know, chore we talk about choreographing poems. Uh but you had actual choreography in your poem. Well, what's funny about that is that Jay doesn't know, uh, I think Blues, Blues knows a little bit, is that I actually did all the choreography. Yeah. Um, is that, yeah, we, uh, what happened was we lied to the, <laughs> it's, 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 our, it's old now. So we lied to our coach, right? We lied to Blues, our slam master coach. And we're supposed to be getting the poem ready. And Sidekick was kind of like screwing off and I was screwing off. And we had the gist of it down. Like we had the, you know, I'll stand here, you stand there, I'll do this, you do that. Okay, yeah, whatever. Um, and then the day of, the day before, he's like, you got it? Like, yeah, I said, cool, I want to see it in an hour. And we're like, shit. So <laughs> we go and I ask the lady at the hotel front desk if there's a, a business room or room we can use. She's very kind, she gives us a room. And we take our shoes and socks off and we close the door to this 
business in a room and we go through the process and we get it. And I'm like, okay, cool, we got it. And then Blues Lily shows up, show it to us. And we're all sweaty and covered. And he's like, you know what? Never mind. Apparently you got it. So like, you guys work hard at it. Like, thank you. <laughs> and we have memorized it just enough. Like, we know it, we're going to do it one time uh, and we'll be good to go. We ended up doing it twice, but uh, yeah, we had it. But it ended up being where the stuff Sidekick wanted to do and I wanted to do. He was like, dude, let's just do your stuff. Um, so yeah, the irony of it was no one knew I actually choreographed the entire thing. Um, and then because people assumed the same thing, they looked at me, they're like, oh, look at me, look at him. Like, oh, so he did all the choreography and you wrote the poem. Like, actually, <laughs> I choreographed the whole fucking thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's. Well, I was actually talking it. about the, the uh, I've always wanted to be a dancer. About oh, that. Oh, Tom Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, for Tondu, it was initially a solo piece, and then I wrote it, um, and I wanted Sidekick to do it because the idea of Sidekick's white, for those who don't know, it, so the idea of a white person standing there and you have this off uh, stage voice going, welcome to the audition, like an audition you're by yourself, and the person saying, cool, you did this, you did that, now do all those things again, but do them as a blackboard. And he's shaking his head like, no, I'm not doing that, you're, you're stupid. And the voice says it again, the voice says it again, and becomes kind of this Pink Floyd, the wall thing where he can't not do it. Like it's like you can't leave. Like he goes to movies, like I can't leave. So he has to do it. And then as he's doing it, uh, now the voice is giving directions and it's, you know, so do with the hoodie stitched to your back permanently. Do with the frown permanently scowl on your face. Uh, you thought you could fly and who told you could grow wings so his arms suddenly break. Um, and at the end of it, he actually dies. And in that one, Jamal comes and drags him off stage because uh, he died. He dies, and then supposed to be uh, Jay Ward or the next person comes up. The next person on the team is going to walk up as and the poem would end for the next edition. So the next poem will come up, say, "Okay, and you ready? Welcome." And it starts the same way. It ends the same way it started, and that's how it stops. You go, "Oh wow, this is a constant. It's a killing field." Mm -hmm. So everybody mm -hmm. lined up outside is is waiting in turn for this killing field. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah um, I gave, Psychic gave me the names for two of the movements. And then same thing, it ended up being uh, crap I'd already done. Yeah, the same, that's, that's the one we did in the front yard. He was like, no, you can do that. I love this, this is like, this is like VH1 behind the poetry slam. <laughs> uh, let me jump over to a question from the audience. Like in the chat, yeah. we have a question. Uh, you've obviously moved around a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. what they want to know what did you get from each of your homes? You know, from Colorado, Arizona, North Carolina, LA. How has where you've lived influenced you? Ohio. Yeah, I'm, I'm betting. So the CEO is actually Columbus. Oh. Uh, shout out to Ernest. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. They did that way. Yeah, the CEO is Columbus. So Columbus, Arizona, North Carolina, and now LA. Um, so they did two cities, two states. Um, what have I gotten from each one? Each one is home. Uh, I no longer, I mean, I rep LA because I live in LA and that's, that's how I feel about things. But I'm Ohio born and bred. So I'm a Midwest boy at heart. Uh, so if I have to pick a thing, I'm always Ohio. Uh, but I look at myself now as a global ambassador uh, because it's disrespectful for me to claim any place and I claim another if I've ever stepped foot in that place, that place has fed me. San Antonio has fed me. So if someone said, talk shit about San Antonio, I would check them. Uh, Detroit has fed me. I would check them about Detroit. If I've been to a city and that city fed me, then in turn, I'm a, I'm a community member of that city. Um, but in terms of what did I get from each one, Ohio is where I grew up. So that's my Midwest mentality. That's my yes, ma'am, no, sir. Um, try to be respectful to gender and non-binary, et cetera, these days. Um, that is my open doors. That is my speaking spoken to. 
Um, that is my shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, that's my all that. Uh, that's my love for ice cream. Uh, Arizona, uh, I don't know what I got from Arizona. I got my heart broken in there. Arizona taught me to not move in the name of love. Um, that's what Arizona taught me. Uh, it's a great place to retire, though. North Carolina uh, was my next phase in being a man. I uh, moved from Arizona to North Carolina to Charlotte, not in the name of poetry, but in the name of my next evolution as an artist and as a human being. Uh, I made some great friends there. I lost some great friends there. Um, LA is the next phase of being manhood with uh, film, acting, screenwriting, voiceover work, all the things I moved here for that have nothing to do with poetry. Um, yeah, so that'd be that. So outside of just uh, living all over the place, you've also toured basically mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, seen this whole country. So I have two questions on that note. Yep. And the first one, it may be a quick answer or it may just take us into a debate for the rest of the program, but who has the best barbecue? Oh God, I, oh, you're gonna hate me. You and Eddie, this might end the whole thing. You guys might hang up on me. Um, <laughs> the best barbecue is anywhere there's a Smoky Bones. Ooh. What's a Smoky Bones? It's a franchise. I'm that. I'm very ghetto, dude. I have ghetto and simple at my heart. Um, <laughs> I like Smoky Bones, the franchise. They should sponsor and endorse my next tour. I will eat a barbecue rib every show and like throw the bones at the audience. Um, yeah, I am. I love Smoky Bones because everything they make is perfect. Uh, beyond that, I am slowly coming to fall in love with Southern Florida. Central, no, Southern, Southern Florida barbecue, mm -hmm. like Miami area barbecue. Mm -hmm. It looks horrible. It looks really disgusting. <laughs> it looks like dog food. It's like oranges. It's like mustard and something else was this weird orange yellow. Like you throw it out two days, it's food you got after you went to the club, oh. like a food truck kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's actually how that's how it looks when they give it to you up front. But it tastes amazing. I think they put a little bit of crack in like all their barbecue <laughs> in Miami. <laughs> Because um, the drugs are so big down there, it's like, ah, oh, just sprinkle cocaine on everything. We get it cheap. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, Southern Florida barbecue is great, but I'm, I'm personally a Smoky Bones person. Uh, if you're talking about the Texas North Carolina battle, then I would have to side with Texas just because North Carolina barbecue is the worst barbecue on the planet. <laughs> it's all mustard and vinegar based. I'm sorry, North Carolina, you have shitty barbecue. You should never go to get barbecue in North Carolina. You just shouldn't. Just, unless you're an alcoholic, it's the only way that stuff tastes good. <laughs> folks you heard it here to quote andy buck texas may not be god's country but she sure as shit gets her barbecue here okay? <laughs> or just better than north carolina i think i don't know i don't know if you said it was the best yet yeah. I, i'll put i give it number two i give it number two for another right. franchise a second and then my, well, the second, <laughs> my second question about the the whole travel thing is i've often heard that there's this like writing different like writing styles that differ from like north to south and east to west and things like that have you encountered that like what's what what have you encountered in your travels oh that's an excellent question um it's not as as diverse as it used to be or not as segregated as it used to be um while wow, i'm aging myself 10 years ago when i was touring uh like prior to youtube being big put it that way um you would go to different regions and you could hear you could literally cross a border and hear the difference in the poetry style Mm -hmm. uh, Chicago has a very specific style. Uh, the Midwest has a style. New York East Coast has a style, all the way up to uh, Massachusetts. Um, the South has a very, Southeast has a very simple style. Texas has its own style. Uh, West Coast has a style. Um, yeah, so it was, it was this kind of thing you could hear it. 
um, at the National Poetry Slams back then, uh, that was one of the exciting things because you'd have about, like, oh, who's in this? Oh, it's going to be Minneapolis against Vancouver, against New York, against LA. And you're like, oh, shit. Because it literally, like, you could hear that. Um, and from that, I learned as I toured that you had a certain kind of a personality, right? Like a certain attitude and personality and spirit of different areas. And those people kind of read the same books and they read the same people and they listened to the same music. Therefore, they were kind of creating the same art in terms of, of, uh, of, of spirit. The spirit of the art was the same, right? Um, like San Antonio is very different than Dallas, but the poetry is similar because the spirit of Texas is a unified thing. Um, so if you get down to it, there's a, there's a cross-reference there. Um, Albuquerque and San Antonio and El Paso, um, by and large, almost have the same sound, give or take, as Denver to some extent, mm -hmm. right? That kind of thing. Um, then what happened with YouTube was you had all those pockets of regions were now just available online. So now uh, Eddie gets, Eddie decides, oh my God, I love the Midwest. So he listens to Columbus, Ohio poets, and Chicago poets. And now in turn, because of that, he looks them up and sees who they listen to and who they read. And then he listens to that music and reads those books. Now he shows up to the San Antonio scene sounding different and becomes the weird poet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, kind of thing. Or the um, unique poet. <laughs> right, the unique one, the one who stands out, the one who's trying to be different. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not as prevalent as it used to be. Um, now it's bigger pockets. The South, like Southern Pride, still has a very distinctive thing. Um, but then DC comes there, you guys have been there, and saying every time a different uh, group of voices infiltrate that, it tips that sound a little bit. Mm. You know, um, every time the black kid from New York or DC hears the black kid from Miami and they discuss a black issue in two very different ways, they each leave going, wow, I didn't know I could discuss it like that. Mm -hmm. Right? Same thing. So the moment uh, someone uh, from San Antonio Here's someone from Berkeley, and they go, "Wow, I didn't know I could discuss it like that." So those kind of things what happens these days, yeah. I was gonna say on with the uh, Miami barbecue, it's probably has something to do with like this mesh of so many cultures that has created this unique style of barbecue, and it almost sounds like in terms of poetry, like regionals and nationals, uh, and now YouTube has kind of blended itself to that, to where you start to create mm -hmm. a mesh of styles and voices. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Very, very much so. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting is that, you know, uh, I hear that television did the same thing back in the 50s, is that there were a lot more regional accents. And then uh, TV, everybody kind of started sounding a little bit more similar. And actually, they started sounding like New Yorkers, you know, because so much of the market, you know, the, the stuff or um, the settings and, and the shows were being produced out there, right. that it kind of like took away some regionalism. Um, but I, I guess what you're saying now, the question, is it, is it topics? Is it rhythms? Um, is it both? Both. Both. I think the first thing is rhythm. Um, but normally the more, the more standout rhythmic people also normally have the more interesting topics, right? Mm -hmm. um, way back in the day, we used to literally, to prepare for, for competitions at nationals, we would look and see what uh, what venues we were facing, what cities they were from, and you could almost break down what they were going to do without knowing what poets were on the team. Mm -hmm. um, literally, and we, it was looking back, it's like, wow, we were very, uh, uh, what's it called, not stereotyping, but... Generalizing. Say what? Generalizing? 
No, with a P. Uh, we were with three poets. I can't think of the word. So I was with P. When you're stereotyping. Prejudiced? No, 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 no. Oh, oh, profiling. Thank you. Profiling. Oh, my God. That's the we, we are horrible poets. We are. Profiling. We're great poets. We just don't care about words. Uh, profiling. Uh, we were profiling and stereotyping. But back in the day, it'd be like, uh, Chicago's coming. You know they're going to be funny. Uh, Vancouver's coming. You know they're going to sing. Um, uh, New York's coming. You know they're going to be all angry, loud, and deep. Uh, if it was the New Yorican, if it was the Bowery, it was going to be humor uh, mixed with beautiful words. If it was Bar 13, it was going to be just uh, serious political poems, but delivered in beautiful ways. And they're all think they're smart and academic, and they only write informed. Fuck them. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so it was that kind of thing. Um, uh, Alabama uh, was uh, Jay Hardison. Then would come. They're gonna come and have a fun time, and all the poems are fun. Um, San Francisco, Berkeley's gonna come. They're political, but from like a hippie perspective. Mm. Like we used to little, and you look. It didn't matter who was on the team. Yeah. You knew that their overall ethos, like whoever was slam master and coaching those teams, kind of thing. Like, hey guys, my name's Ed. I mean, I'm in Charlotte. We're just gonna kind of just we just kind of take things cool at our at our being here, kind of have fun with it. And if that trickles down to the poets, then that by and large becomes the work that gets rewarded by applause by the audience. That becomes the work that does well in the slam. Those people are the people that make your team. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was Albuquerque. It was going to be political, but uh, Latino based. You know, so it was going to be ethnic political. Um, if it was Denver, okay, Denver uh, slam Nubia. Uh, was going to be black, just the blackest shit you've ever heard. Uh, if it was Mercury, it was going to be real written, real well written, uh, but not black at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, that's just how it was back then. She had these weird conversations, like, "So who you facing? San Antonio? Chibi San Antonio or Eddie San Antonio? Or Eddie San Antonio? Oh, dude, just make sure to have your funny poems ready. Oh, he's got, <laughs> I got Chibi San Antonio team." Dude, but have your political shit ready. Have your polls have that hard political stuff. Okay, thank you for the tip. It was that kind of thing. And then, um, and yeah, just that. You had people relocate and move geographically. People start relocating. Uh, people would tour. The more you tour, the more you come home and you've been uh, infected, for lack of a better way, in a good way, of all those different styles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? So all of a sudden I go, oh, well, this is funny. That's funny. Or I see someone and I go, yo, you remind me of Chibi. Who's that? Go look at him online. Mm-hmm. You know, and that person goes and listens to she be like, oh my God, thank you so much. I've been wanting to find a voice similar to mine. That's all we're doing anyway. We're trying to find voices that, that yeah. sync up with ours, right? Yeah. So that that's what would happen. So to answer Eddie, the style would do it, um, but also the writing would do it because the writing would lend to that style. Yeah. YouTube has ruined a lot of things, but I think YouTube has also like made some things uh, so much better than they possibly could be. Um, <laughs> we got time for a couple more questions, and I know what I want to end on, but so I'm gonna I'm gonna let Eddie take it. You know, take a yeah. Step. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. I, I had I had two here. Go for it. Uh, I'll, I'll, God, I'll, I'll both, them well, well, one's pretty short, I think. Maybe because I had you know I had this professor in college that was like our narrator for everything on campus. Uh, I was older gentleman, um, and everybody said that it was the right combination. He's an Irish guy, right combination mm-hmm. of whiskey and cigarettes over like sixty years of his life that <laughs> made that voice. Right. And uh, what's your secret? How you get your voice like that? What what, what is it? What's it? What is the ingredients in that voice? Are you the next James Earl Jones? What's happening? Minus the stutter and the white wife. I hope so. Um, 
<laughs> that didn't sound right, did it? Not that, not <laughs> like that. Not like, wow, I'm so glad it sounded. Not like that. We'll try to cut yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, don't cut it. Fuck it. <laughs> It'll come back when I meet him. He'll be like, so, what about my wife, motherfucker? Be like, oh, God. <laughs> um, I'm a natural bass. The irony is this is my speaking voice, for lack of a better term, um, which is weird. <laughs> so like natural bass is more like this, right? Like we call the space bass. So this is my actual, if you've ever shared a room with me, saw me around seven o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning, so not a lot of people around, then this is my voice. Uh, this is actual pitch on so my actual bass. But I became a bass at a very young age. My voice cracked around uh, before it was cool, like maybe 10. Because I was 13, I was already in the male chorus as a bass. So I think 10, 11, my voice cracked. And I didn't do the, hey guys, how you doing? Da, 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 da. Never that. One day I was like, hey mom. Next day I was like, hey mom. And that was it. Um, the very short version has speeded up. For everybody wondering why that's a big deal, or why I'm not happy about it. This was in the era of Michael Jackson, Prince, the DeBarges, the Jets. Everybody had a voice that sounded like somebody was choking a mouse. Uh, so really high pitched <laughs> and squeaky. Um, my you. voice, all my friends, all the girls I wanted to like impress didn't like me. All their mothers loved me. Because mm. their moms <laughs> were raised on Lou Rawls, Isaac Hayes, Barry White, right? Like all these deep voice dudes. So I'd be like, you know, I would go to my friend like, hey, can Kevin come out and play? Um, actually, Kevin's not here, but how you doing? Like, what? Wait, hold on, what? <laughs> Literally, dude, I had to talk. This is so weird. This is so awkward. I should be saying, all right. I remember one time I had, I asked if a friend of mine was at home. Back in the day, you knock on the door and ask if they come out and play. And the parent says, well, come on in and sit down and I'll go get them kind of thing. So I sat down and she got me some water and we talked for an hour. And finally, I was like, so is he here? And she said, oh, I thought I answered you. No, he's not here. He's at his dad's this weekend. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I should probably go? Or she was like, you can stick around for dinner. And I know everybody watching was like, oh my God, you're sounding like you just discussed you almost got raped. Kind of sort of almost did. Um, <laughs> but it was a more innocent time. Uh, so, so, yeah, I just, I got up and left. Um, and that was a thing like a couple times that my mom found out about where it's like, yo, so anyway, yeah, anyway, so uh, I'm actually a natural base. I got it naturally. Um, it's, it's a curse and a blessing. I'm out here because I'm trying to capitalize on the blessing for all the people who do the, you know, if I could, if I had your voice, I'd have a dibby dibby um, And yeah, I've done enough voiceover work where it's time to actually like do it on purpose, not do it by accident. Mm -hmm. uh, like Lexus used the shit out of me for some voice work and I did not get paid extra for it. Uh, so yeah, it's time to actually like get paid for it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that part of the voice. So no, it's not smoking, not drinking. Um, <laughs> this, like this, like it's this, all this natural. Isn't... It's all natural. Yeah, I keep I keep it at bass baritone because um, funny thing about being a bass, if you're a true bass, your vocal cords have a lot of slack in them. That's all it means. The tighter the cord, the tighter the cord, the higher the pitch. So when I'm saying one word, my vocal cords are still reverberating from the previous word. So when I was a kid, I got in trouble in school a lot because the teachers would send notes saying I had a mumbling problem and I murmured a lot or they couldn't understand me. So when people wonder why I'm so articulate now, it's because my mother would sit with me and make me enunciate words. 
because mm -hmm. it sounded like I was talking and underneath everything I say when we record it, if, I'm, if I do my regular pitch, there's this mm -hmm. because as long as I'm talking, those chords are just vibrating so that hum just sits there. Uh, and I used to fuck up recordings all the time when I heard the voice over here. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how I found out about it. So there's that. What's the second question? I'm sorry. You, you, just, you just answered a question that I wasn't going to get to ask because like anytime I, we watch you perform, like you are over enunciate, like your mouth just goes all over the place. And now we know why. <laughs> Thank you. All right, that Man, no, what's no, wrong no, with you, dude? You kind of triggered me because no, you triggered me because my grandmother would do the same thing with Spanish words for me. Like she really? just, oh yeah, she sat me down with a dictionary because I couldn't roll my R's at some point when I was younger. Wow. And uh, I had lost or was losing the ability, and she was mad at the entire English language. She said the R, the people were lazy because they couldn't mm -hmm. roll their R's. You know, wow. like all all the English speakers in the world. Um, and so yeah, so that was I, I'm having a moment right now. Anyway, um, my other question is, you do comedy a lot, and. Um, what is more challenging, comedy or poetry on a stage? Comedy. Mm -hmm. And why? <laughs> uh, it's the hardest performing arts profession there is. Mm. Above ballet, above dancing, above playing any musical instrument, a million times above poetry. Um, the simple way I explain to people is this, especially when poets come up, going, I think I want to be a comedian. Um, here's the thing with that. If I write a funny poem and I get on stage and go, hey, guys, this is a funny poem, Chibi, you're going to laugh. In a three-minute span, if you laugh once in the beginning, once in the middle, and once in the end, I've done my job. All you're gonna remember is, yeah, how was it? It was pretty funny because you laughed once a minute. If I go to a comedy spot and I get up and I say I want to perform for three minutes, and if, you, if if the crowd laughs once a minute, I'm never getting invited there again. Yeah, there's an old saying in uh, theater, which was, uh, "Dying is easy, being funny is hard." Yeah, yes, yeah, the where you have to literally, uh, Joel Pace, I don't know if he came with the quote, but I, I give him credit for it, so never anyone will say it. He said, in comedy, it's very simple. Your three things are, are they laughing? Did they just finish laughing? Are they about to be laughing? Those are your three things for comedy. If you're not answering one of those three things, then whatever it is, edit it out. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, comedy is a million times harder. It's also a million times more pure, though. You know, like a laugh is a laugh. Um, and it's not for objectivity. Like a laugh is a laugh. They laugh or they smile like that. They'll smile or they laugh or they don't. So you instantly know every time you say something. Whereas poetry is, did they get it? Did they feel it? Did they kind of get it? I don't know if it's over. Every time you say something, you know, yes, no, yes, no, you're good. You suck. You suck. Like, you know, so it's, a, it's an instant thing. It's an instant feedback. So aside from theater, it's probably my most favorite thing because you just get instant feedback. Yeah. Uh, so you are clearly a man of many, many accolades and talents and venues. Uh, <laughs> and recently, your secret was leaked on social media. Of what makes you so good? And it's Pumas. What is it about the Pumas? Please explain to us how you that's got your, That's your closing question. That's hilarious. <laughs> the Pumas, I saw that. I saw that post. That I don't wear Pumas and they have a shot. Um, I have no idea. I grew up and I, I was I got some pumas. I got some grace dark suede pumas with a light gray swoosh on them with the checkerboard fat laces. And I didn't know how to do the fat laces. There was no YouTube on how to do them. And a girl I knew knew how to do it. And she was like the prettiest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And of course, therefore, I didn't know what to say to her. 
And I was sitting at my school desk instead of doing schoolwork, trying to do these pumas and laces. And she's like, you're doing it wrong. And she took them and she laced them. And I was like, I'm never touching them again. I'm just gonna wear them just like that. But she laced them. Uh, anyway, I had these pumas forever. I probably wore them until they could walk around on their own. Um, and after that, I just became like a puma kid. I love pumas. I was, uh, I'm a Leo. So it was in the same family of, okay, it's a cat, it's close enough. Uh, my favorite comic book was Black Panther. Again, called Puma, Black Panther, close enough. Um, when I got older, I found out about the Puma-Adidas uh, relationship, uh, which a lot of people don't know, the founder of both were brothers. Um, and they both just had the one thing, Adidas, that had a huge argument over something. Um, and they went their separate ways and the other brother created Puma. Uh, I still to this day want to like make a biopic about that just because I think it's stupid, but like funny as hell. Like, mm -hmm. well, I'm gonna make my own shoe. Um, yeah, it ended up being like these two big things. Um, yeah, so I, I've dug Puma. I like what they do for the uh, communities. I like what they do for Black History Month, um, a ton of things. And yeah, I just, I can't really resist a pair. It's a, it's a, <laughs> I have a problem. I was like, I have very few addictions. Uh, orange Tic Tacs are one, French vanilla ice cream, and uh, and Pumas. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I could turn this camera around and you see how sad my life is. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, if I could pick between a suit and, and Pumas, I'm probably getting a pair of Right. It's where you draw your, your power. I get it. <laughs> yeah, without them, but it's funny, someone said without them, then you lose. But what's funny, in the San Antonio, I wore the same suit every day. I don't know if you guys even remember to notice that. The suit I wore, I wore that same suit, that same uh, double plaid suit. I wore that same thing I wore every day. And I did not wear the Pumas on final stage. I took the shoes off because I knew I was doing that piece. Uh -huh. Well, you hardly wore shoes at all. That's what I remember. You were in the yeah, elevator. Yeah, yeah, I kept. Yeah, shoes. which is another funny thing. I bought those Pumas. They got to me the day before I was leaving. So I put them on. As I'm wearing one suit and one pair of shoes, I don't have to think about that kind of stuff in pack light. And then something was wrong with them on the inside, and they were cutting into my foot. And the first day when I got to the hotel the day before Southern Pride started, I, my foot kept feeling funny. When I took it off, I had a blister on it and a cut between one of my toes. And I bled through the sock and didn't realize it. So I was like, okay, I can't walk through the streets of San Antonio barefoot, it's like 100 degrees, but I also can't wear this shoe with these dance pieces and moving pieces I'm gonna do. So I literally was like washing my foot, wrapping it in a napkin, putting the shoe on, getting into an Uber. That's why I wasn't walking anywhere. I was Ubering to the venue. I'd get out. I, as soon as I got in the venue, I would just take them off and then take them and set them down by the door and then perform. And everyone's like, oh, he's being like a hippie or he's doing something crazy. It's like, no, actually, my foot is blistered and bleeding. Yeah, my foot is blistered and bleeding. I so, yeah. This has been the most personal conversation we have had so far. All right, my voice, my shoe collection, my injuries. Yeah. Blister and that sweet girl that tied those fat laces when you were 12. Uh, thank you so much, Ed. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Um, let's go ahead and let's close it out. Let's have you close it out with one more poem, if you please. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, thank you. I wanted to have one ready after pause. Uh, uh, let's not end on a total absolute downer. That would suck. The bad habit of ending with downer poems. All right, here we go. <laughs> and thank you for everyone that tunes into this or tunes into the Zoom later. Uh, please support um, Eddie and, and Chibi and the event they're doing for everyone they bring online, um, support and donate to their, I think they had a dollar, they had a cash app posted behind them. Please support and donate to that. Um, you can follow me online. My name is just Ed Mabry and all my uh, stuff is Ed Mabry online. All right. This much we know. Well, this much we know for sure. 
Hell is hot, God is good, and wheels must turn. The suburbs have called and said they want their ghettos back. So now they move as nomads, uptown, downtown, crosstown, your town. They wage war and economic double talk and laugh while juggling grenades. But no matter how much blood flows, or how many barrels of oil the government uses to paint its face, mothers will still cry when boys become men. And the blackest thing in the White House might always have to now be the bottom of someone's vintage shoes. See, these days, I see crack pipes walk hand in hand with their dilapidated lovers, a smile on their ashen faces, where they have found the love left hanging on Coltrane's lips. I see presidential candidates dancing around the mulberry while little Soweto children still point fingers saying, I see dead people, and winos bitch about unleaded gas for $1.89 while we're decorating their springtime cardboard chateaus, and we dance. The devil sits in the pale moonlight, slightly nervous, playing with his tie holding a number in his hand, knowing one of us private dancers has got to flinch when the music plays. I mean, can't you hear the band? Violin screeching of people jumping from burning buildings, buildings thanking God for not giving them souls, airplanes, begging for someone to tell their children they did the best they could, not to listen to your mother's concerto after concerto of addicts' babies, weed-smoking Negroes and their pseudo-pro-black ladies, and in all this, remember that they say pork is to blame and that you can change your character by just simply changing your name. Meanwhile, Jesus says, I have the answer in my hand, but you're afraid to hold it. I try to save your soul, but in truth, you're the one who sold it down a river of regrets with the rock tied to the ankles of your dreams. You try to backtrack now to the back point of your demise. Well, let's see. You believed and now you don't. You said you changed, now you swear you won't. In no words, no matter how pretty or elusive, by carriage or discus, balance or bastardize, will make the weight of the world you carry on your shoulders any lighter, but you can do this today. Wake up, dig through the reflections in the mirror until your bloodied hands find an image worth saving. Wake up, put one foot in front of the other and let your soul run free once again. Wake up, beat on your heart till it surges with mercury, till the wings on your feet actually make you fly. Run to the ends of the earth, put one foot on land, one foot on sea and scream at God, now what you got. Wake up each and every morning, put on your best Tony Montana voice, walk out butt naked but with a mask on for Corona and say, okay, I'm reloaded. See, tears are what happens when your body gets tired of hearing your own shit. Pain just means you're alive. And I've heard that a smile can kill giants, so this much we know for sure. Hell is hot. God is good. And if you're as patient as a hotel Bible, she still won't call you tomorrow. If you click your heels three times, your bills will still be waiting for you. If you drink the magic potion and slide down the rabbit hole, all your demons will be there, RSVPs in hand for the grand tea parties. Life will always be unfair if you continue to treat it unfairly. So let the suburbs fight with the ghettos. Let the addicts walk with the politicians. Let him or her leave out your heart through the front door this time. Because uptown, downtown, crosstown, and yes, even your town, life is happening with or without you. The government will shuffle. The idiot will play with the big red button. So live life. So live you. So love life. So love you. Are you ready? Go on your mark, get ready, get set, and go. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ed Mabry, everybody. Thanks, Ed, man. That was amazing. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank Happy you so much for both. joining us. We we really appreciate the time that you have given us and the time that you've given the community and what you were doing with your National Poetry Month. 
Um, thank you everybody who uh, sat with us this hour as we had a thrilling conversation with Ed Mabry. If you would like, you can always donate to Write Art Out. This is the Kermie, the official tip taker. The <laughs> Cash, Cash app is Write Art Out SA. Um, oh. You can always donate to Write Art Out SA. Um, thank you for Eddie for co-facilitating this phenomenal conversation. Um, thank right you, Chitty. I do what I can. Next week, we got Houston poet and staple and legend Lupe Mendes joining us. So I hope to see you here again next week. Uh, once again, thank you, Ed. Thank you, Eddie. It's Ed, Ed, and Chibi. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Uh, and a cartoon gets started. There you go. Good night. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Stay safe. Good night, everybody. Good night, Ed. Good night. Chibi. <laughs>